All right, Matthew, welcome to episode 34 of the Performance Advantage podcast. Whoo, pacing. Wow. Love, love a good pacing chat. Surprise we haven't done it already. But yeah. first of all, shout out to our sponsors, the EnduranceTrainingHub.com, SmartMTBTraining.com, the uh, best place to go for online Endurance Sports Training is Endurance Training Hub and online mountain bike coaching, smartmtbtraining.com. I mean, that's pretty much the only place to go, isn't it? Yeah, don't even bother going anywhere else unless you want one-on-one help. In that case, hit us up. Uh, pacing, Matt. Whew. What do you think when you think pacing? Um, I just think how happy I am when I think about it. Yeah. <laughs> hey, Matt, also, we have a shout-out. Shout-out to long-time listener. She's listened to every single episode. Big Matthew Miller fan, Alison, thanks for tuning in once again, because I know you'll be listening. Yeah, she probably misses the live episodes. Remember when we used to do them live and just automatically it went to Facebook? Like, no mistakes allowed. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty high pressure. Yeah, we couldn't filter out all of your long pauses. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. But still, um, you know, Allison always says that I'm funnier than you. Yeah, that hurt so. my ego when I heard that initially. <laughs> I was like, oh, geez. You know, I started being pretty hard on myself, started working on my humor. Yeah, good luck, bro. <laughs> no, I was, I'll stick to what I know. Yeah. Yeah, good luck with that, too. <laughs> Ah, <laughs> oh, too much. Ah, oh, everyone's just like Matt. He just has me in stitches every episode. <laughs> it's just endless. Ah, oh, look forward to your stand-up career. Ah, <laughs> uh, no, no, I don't. I don't think I'd ever do that. No, I can't. Too much pressure. You. Yeah, yeah. That's a, that's a lot. You can't stuff that up. No filtering. Yeah, because there are like a lot of radio DJs that. Um, you know, cause they have to be kind of funny and time and time again, they just say that their stand-up careers or, you know, when they do stand-up, that's the hardest thing that they ever do because you yeah, get you an can't... immediate reaction. Yeah. And there's no feedback. Like when you converse with someone, like it's quite easy to gauge, you know, to, to tune off of them and build like, I don't know, a bit of banter and things. But when it's just one-way street, you got a thousand-odd people or maybe even, you know, just 50 or whatever and trying to get trying to get them to laugh while they're just sitting there listening at you. It's like, oh, yeah. it's tough. You know, it's also hard doing a podcast too because we don't get any of that immediate feedback. The only thing we have is like our listening metrics or, you know, the odd person that thinks that you're not as funny as me. And uh, that's those are really delayed metrics. So you know, like obviously the podcast is growing, and we we get more and more messages from our listeners, and that's why we continue to do it. But actually, it takes us a long time to kind of build up that audience and to actually get any feedback from them. Yeah, and so it's also hard. Um, what you can do as a listener, you can uh leave a review somewhere probably on itunes no itunes doesn't exist on apple podcasts uh or spotify i'm not sure if you can leave reviews on there but please do yeah or share it with your friends you know we um we need the podcast to grow 
and that's you know that's why we're doing it like we give a lot of information away for free I might add and um, you know this is actually it's our job on the other end of the podcast you know like it's our job to give away this information so um, please tell your friends and share it yeah and some of that free information today is going to be on pacing so yeah pacing is really about how you can get through your event uh, and the best possible manner so that your energy is well distributed and you're not crawling across the the finish line um or sitting halfway through the event wondering what went wrong yeah it so if you look at maybe auto racing so if we think formula one they pretty much just push the gas pedal and go like it's hard physically and you need you need to really concentrate and there's a lot of strategy involved but pacing isn't really one of them you know, there might be a strategy as far as when you go into the pits, but you have an engine to rely on. But when we're thinking about any kind of athletics, our body is the engine, right? And our bodies only have a limited amount of work that they can do before they totally run out of energy or just um, the, the engine dies, right? Yes. So we need to actually distribute that energy appropriately based on the events that we're doing. Yeah, and, you know, at the, at the simplest level... It's kind of just a flat time trial, right? And people will probably know that you should not start too hard because we've all been there. But where it gets more complicated is when, especially I'm sure for you guys, Matt, as mountain bikers, like that's gnarly. Like you started your PhD looking into that specifically because you've got ups and downs and you don't just recover on the downs. Same with running. Um... So we want to sort of get into that and and help you guys try and pace your events better and analyze how you can pace them better when it is maybe a more technical undulating course. Yeah, absolutely. And that's when it gets really, really important. So even if we think about a flat time trial and, or we think about like a 20-minute FTP test or something that you guys might do on the track when you're running, pacing is actually still really important. When I think about pacing, I'm, tr- I'm thinking about the energy systems that we're using. And if we go all out, we can actually only go all out for three minutes. So if you think about the last race that you did, whether it was a 5K uh, or a 100K or an Enduro or an XC race, chances are there were people that went all out from the start. <laughs> so if we think about how long we can go all out and the event that we just started it is going to be a long day if you go all out because after three minutes, you will expend all of your anaerobic work capacity, right? And we talked about this when we talked about critical power, if you want a more in-depth analysis with some numbers and things like that. And that was one of our early episodes. And But if you go all out, you can only do that for three minutes. After that, you need to drop the intensity down to something that is actually a pretty low level. And we see this in every race that we do. I've seen it in the local 5Ks, I've seen it in the enduro races, and that those are extra tricky because you have to execute a skill as well throughout the entire race when you're totally blown. Um, and this is one of the things that I work on with all my athletes is pacing, pacing, pacing. Yeah, yeah, and it's, it's just a super, it's a super difficult one to get your head around you know, to not go super hard at the start, to not 
push because you feel so good. And we do endurance sports. You know, our listeners are endurance athletes. Most of them are going to be exercising for at least an hour in most of their races. And if you have trained enough and you're fit enough to complete an event of an hour or more, then the first 10 to 20 minutes at your one hour sort of capacity, if you were going to maximize your your output for one hour, the first 10, 20 minutes is going to feel reasonably easy. And that makes it hard. Yeah, I, it, it takes a lot of confidence to start out easy. Oh, tell me about it. I did the run walk. <laughs> yeah, that's that's actually, that that's a pacing strategy. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Yeah. For sure, and you can you can go back and, and listen to that. that was a few episodes, maybe four or five episodes ago. Spoiler, um, <laughs> spoiler alert! It worked, right? It Run worked. walk worked. It yeah. worked for sure. That's awesome. Um, yeah. So, so then Matt, we're we're pacing. Yeah, we know probably we have to start slow, but what like what are you looking at as a reference point? First off, okay, I've got an event coming up, whatever it is how do I know? How do I know what what my pacing strategy is? How do I know if I'm going too hard at the start? Well, there, are, there are, aren't many ways to know, actually. So if you think the first thing that we can do for free, we don't have to buy any equipment, is we can think about the feeling in our body. Yes. But that actually becomes really unreliable on race day. And that's because you're so hyped up. If you think about how you felt on the start line... And, um, you know, I'm thinking about an XC race where everyone's in this grid and everyone's like, you know, bouncing around, getting ready to go, looking at the lights, looking at um, their mom on the sidelines, you know, because there aren't that many fans. It's usually there's family. And, um, you know, but you're really amped. And then, like, when you go hard, it doesn't actually feel hard just because you're so excited. There's so much adrenaline pumping through your veins. Um... So that feeling in your legs is pretty much lying to you for the first couple minutes. And that's one reason why in a race, it seems like everyone goes so hard, because it actually does feel easy. Um, so if you need, if you want an objective measure, you need to have something like power, because even your heart rate's going to lie to you a little bit. Um, so at the most basic level, we should be looking at our heart rate to see, to make sure we don't go above our max too early. Uh, and then power is going to be the most objective measure that we can look at. Yeah, for sure. And taking a step back from that, now we've got, even if you have heart rate, even if you have power and you pace, like you need to have a reference point that you know you can uh, sustain for a certain period of time. And we've done a couple episodes on critical power which for cycling and now for running is probably the most important but it's you you need to go and have a look back i think the easiest way most people are going to be operating on strava or they've got some kind of gps recording device and they can look back and what i'll do when a new athlete comes to me i generally jump on their strava and i'll have a look at their personal best like uh 10k or half marathon often i'm working with runners and i can see then what they are able to sustain for that kind of 30 minutes to two hour period and from there i can start to work on 
work out a very rough calculation of what they can sustain for um, that hour kind of period. And then I can say, look, if this is your one hour, you kind of can work, you know, 80% below that for a couple hours and, and maybe 110% of that for 40 odd minutes. Uh, and that's where we can start to build those, those reference points. Um, and from there, then you can have a, at least an uh, objective measure to say, this is too hard and this is too easy. Most people aren't going to be going too easy, but it is there. No, it's almost impossible to go too easy at the start of a race. I've, I don't think I've ever seen anyone go too easy. Have you? Too easy? No, nah, I, I don't think so. it's just not possible. Um, but, you know, a lot of times what we do, especially in a mass start race, is we see how quickly a gap forms. So if you have a gap that's made on you and someone's ahead of you, you're automatically thinking, well, that person's just going way harder than I am. I need to continue to go harder to stay with them. And there's two things in there, actually. So the first thing is, Actually, maybe the best thing for you is to not stay with them, right? Because you need to understand yourself and what you can sustain. Um, I forget the second thing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you. And the second thing is that they could actually just not be going harder, right? They could just be better. So by them going at it, they could potentially be going at a sustainable pace. And you're thinking, oh, they're going to get away. So I need to speed up and then just blow up. But maybe they're actually at a sustainable pace. And we talked about this before when we talked about some of the mountain bike World Cup, because uh, especially in the cross country, because there's such good footage. And when Nino Scherter goes to the front, he's not going over his limit. Right. Everyone else is. And that's why he can continue to go hard for the whole race. It's not because he's going harder at a relative level than he can sustain compared to you it's because he's just better that's just so important when we're thinking about trying to execute your best performance i work on this so much because it's it's all about getting to the finish line feeling like you executed your best performance like you found your limits and you're able to get through to your best abilities it's when you don't do that ever like the listeners know that you 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 guys have been at the finish line and been like, damn, I went too hard at the start. <laughs> Pretty I, much uh, everyone ever. Yeah, I should have. Including I sh- myself. I, I shouldn't have run with that group. Like, oh, I tagged onto those those girls and they were just like cruising and I felt good. And then I realized I've gone too fast. Um, you know, we've all been there. And then you've also been to the point where you go, oh, yeah, uh, I'm I'm just going to cruise cruise the start and and the positivity that that gives you over the the back half of of the race. Um so so yeah, if we if we go to the first step, the first step is really finding finding your reference point. Uh and there's there's a lot out there uh on how to find, you know, your heart rate threshold. Um generally most things are going to be done off of like a 1 hour sustainable output. And you can have a look at that and go, okay, well, what can I sustain heart rate wise for two hours? You know, and it's not going to be 180. Well, actually, 
mine's ridiculously high. Um, my average for the 50k, which is four hours, was 181. Um, oh, that's pretty high. Yeah, that was a bit. That was a bit crazy, actually. Um, and that's where heart rate didn't didn't work because no, I, I looked just... at it and uh, I was running off of power. I wasn't using pace. Um, big ups to you, Matt. You'd love that. Shout out power meters. <laughs> you. Um, yeah, and and so I had a couple reference points, and I I did I did talk about this in in my hundred k recap as well, where uh, I had had my heart rate was like so high, and I thought, well, maybe that's just reading wrong. Had a look at my power output, perfect, right in the zone, and how I felt, which is you know one of the most important ones, felt super super comfortable. Okay, cool. I'm definitely not going too too hard then. Um, but anyway, going back to <laughs> everyone's so super confused now. Like, wait, what am I supposed to? What am I supposed to look at? Um, so if you if you have your your reference point, you have ideally a couple heart rate being one, um, because heart rate monitors are just built into watches and and everything these days. You have a look, and then you can start to work backwards from that. Like, okay, I've, you know, I've got a half marathon, it's on the trail, it's going to take me a couple hours. I need to make sure I am below my my threshold heart rate. Um, otherwise, I'm going to be forced to slow down at the end. Yeah, and it's definitely not a good feeling to be the one cracking at the end. And it's, on the other side though, it's an amazing feeling to be passing people at the end of an event. That just feels so awesome. You're like, oh yeah. I got this dialed and passing people left and right. Yeah, and it's it just feels so good to be able to speed up at the end. And um, I just I caught up with an athlete yesterday, and uh, she had just done a hundred kilometer, and um, she's doing doing the hundred mile race in in Tatawera, and uh, she's like, oh yeah, I'm going to. She did the hundred k's and was going to do it at hundred mile sort of effort. Mike and so she's going cruising at the start she's like oh, I don't know this could be a bit slow uh and she passed about 50 people in the second half of the race <laughs> how about that that's a lot wow and wow. um she finished feeling super comfy like as comfy as you can for a 100 kilometer but you know it was as part of her training um and was only about 40 minutes off of her full-on race time from the year previous uh and you know when we're talking 40 minutes over 100 kilometers you know she's really like top level athlete so it's it's around 12 hours as even as a percentage that's only a few percent difference so you know the the risk reward of it is is massive yeah wow that's awesome I th- one of the things that I always struggle with with pacing strategies is, is especially when we talk about the elite athletes where they're um, where they're always looking for the best and when they get so if we think if, if let's talk about the mountain bike world champs where we try and talk about pacing but there's just so much going on that it's actually really hard to implement and athletes that are at that level are thinking well if the leaders go and I want to be one of them I just need to go with them and I need to be there. Otherwise, I'm not there at all. So it's a really tough position to be in because 
there's so many people that are your peers and they're all going really, really hard. And it, it's a tough call to decide on a pacing strategy, um, especially when it's the one race that people seem to put more weighting on than than any other, right? So when you are dealing with an elite athlete and you're talking about pacing strategy and you're talking about closing the gap between where the athlete is and the very, very pointing end of the field, what kind of things do you discuss? Um, well, it's different for different sports, you know, when when I work with triathletes, we're in a similar position to mountain biking where you have a swim start and the front swim pack requires, everyone tries to get off the line and get away. Now, you're going to save at least 20% of your energy if you're able to swim in the pack. Now, 20%? If you're like, yeah, yeah. Um, and if you... If you go, okay, well, this event's an Olympic distance triathlon. It's going to take me just a bit under two hours, so I better not swim too hard. You're you're out. You're out of the game. You you have um you have no shot at the race. So we have to try to train in a way that allows you to like swim super hard and then recover at some capacity at a like um, quite high percentage of your threshold. Um, and so that's like triathlon um, and that that is slightly different. Um, but then in like in marathon running uh, or running in general, it's like there's certain just levels where you're like, regardless of if the race starts to go up the road, this is your uppermost level. And if it sustains that for one minute, start to pull back. This is your like secondary level. If it's gone above this for a whole kilometer, pull back. Um, so we have kind of um, thresholds at which you, you hit um, because you can't just let the race disappear just straight off the bat because maybe they're just going to slow down in a couple hundred meters. And now there's just like this annoying gap which yeah. you are, you're now no longer in the front pack and you have to run up to it, right? So you could have just stayed on them for a couple hundred meters. But then at the point where you're like, okay, this is, they're going really hard and it's over a minute. I'm starting to pull back now. And, and then you can start to run your own race. And this is especially, especially important in marathon running where it doesn't really matter. Like in the end there's like there's never a sprint finish so it's going to disintegrate after sort of halfway 30 kilometers or so um so it's it's more just it's more just about pacing like these are your limits do do not do not go above them like here's your here's your absolute um absolute limit you want to get through the first half of the race generally is my goal feeling like like you, you're just absolutely in control. Um, and then most races, the actual race starts at um, three quarters in, um, around, around 60, 75% of the race. Once that's complete, then you're racing. So you need to get there in a position to race. That's generally how I discuss it with a lot of people. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. That's a good tip. Um a couple of years ago, I wrote an article on, um, and I just actually put the article on smartmtbtraining.com. 
how to avoid blowing up in a cross-country mountain bike race. And it's because, like, in, from my experience, that ev pretty much everyone blows up. And I honestly just got sick of blowing up because I was actually the king of blowing up. I would go as hard as possible to start, and I'd be right there, and I'd be thinking, man, I am so fast at starting. I wish I could just hold on to it. Um, I just need to do more intervals or something like that. Um, but it wasn't until I started to pace properly that I was able to start doing negative splits and start doing faster lap times as the race went on. And to do that, I actually just wasn't there at the in the front group at all anymore. But I was able to then at the end at the end of the race, you know, start catching people. And my finish uh, positions actually started to improve, which was really good. And I would finish the race less blown, and I wouldn't be thinking. Uh, during the race that I just wanted to quit the whole time because I was absolutely suffering and people were blowing by me. So that was a pretty good article and that's gained some steam actually. So that's just on smartmtbtraining.com now. So check that one out. But um, it wasn't until I had a power meter and was able to put numbers to it that I really started to understand what was going on. And it's because I was actually able to sustain, um, sustain my pace and I was learning the track a bit better by not blowing up and getting really, really sloppy on the downhills. Right. Yeah, I guess it was when I started to have a more honest um, look at what my ability levels were. And I was like, okay. Like, um, one of them I, I remember vividly was like a, a half Ironman. And I was always, and when I started out, I was always trying to run around 120, ideally under 120 for the half marathon at the end of the bike. And um, I'd go through halfway on track and then just fizzle. It's like, oh, I, I need to do harder efforts off the bike. And then, then I looked at it and I was like, okay, well, my personal best at the time is like a 117. And I was like, is it really appropriate for me to be thinking that I can run pretty much the same speed after a 2k swim in a 90k time trial no it's not what of the no, last no that's just unreasonable <laughs> what are the last what have I done in the last um last like three or four half Ironmans around 125 is like my best okay why don't I start out at that pace and see if I can increase you know um yeah and it was amazing. <laughs> it was my best ever race. I can't remember what I, I ran faster and finished like super strong. I wasn't like in just doing this death march, like just hating life. It was, it was just incredible that I was able to feel so comfortable during the first half. And then as it got harder and harder, I was able to absorb that intensity and have more control over whether I would speed up or slow down or increase on the downhill and conserve on the uphill. I wasn't just, you know, accumulating heat and just, you know, trying to maintain, like trying to decrease the rate at which I slowed. It was like, oh yeah, this is, this is great. This is how it, how it should be. And, and yet from, from that, that was one of my big uh, introductions I guess into like how how pacing can help and then yeah then from from there I that's one one of the memories I, I have of of you know one of those light bulb moments yeah like, yeah oh. and after that you're like oh well I'm gonna actually just do this every time yeah and then the same with the swim I was like 
similar to you, you know, I was in the swim, and I was like, yeah, I was, I was with you guys, I was with you guys, I was on the back, and then I just, like, got so tired, I don't know, maybe it's my wetsuit, maybe it's... <laughs> <laughs> Um, then you then you're like oh i'm gonna buy new stuff oh i need to train harder and this is where it becomes like a vicious cycle where you're like then you're overtrained and you spent a lot of money on equipment and it's just a super common spiral uh and yeah we and see it all the time just from having unrealistic expectations of your abilities compared to others like that's what happened to me in this instance and i, Same. I took it took a step back and i was like why do I think I could swim with these guys? Like these guys in the pool swim just between four minutes, just over four minutes for 400 meters. And I haven't swum under 500, uh, five minutes. Okay. Well, that's a one minute difference over 400 and we're swimming two Ks and I'm swimming with them for the first, you know, 300 meters. Oh, okay. So they're not actually swimming very hard and I'm swimming at my max capacity in the first three minutes and and i get slower and they don't slow down oh i see what's happening here um, <laughs> and then yeah. and then i and so then i did that and the song oh, i'm gonna cruise and then i you know was in like the second pack and doing better swims and feeling fresher and doing better bikes and then pacing my run and having an overall better race from like chilling out just by like 10 seconds per 100 meters for for swimmers they'll know that reference like so like you know rather than coming out five minutes down i was like three minutes down like that's huge and not as tired um yeah yeah so if you guys are able to to understand sort of where you sit within things now running's a lot a lot easier like the pack and the gain you get from drafting and stuff is like kind of irrelevant. So you might as well just run by yourself. You might as well just run your race. When you start to learn how to do that, it it creates like a whole new world of of racing. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a just I you know it's just like the run walk where we just encourage people to try it. Uh, I'm sure when I do my how long's my running race that I'm gonna do again? It's a half marathon. Oh, yeah, so when I do my half, I should, man, I need to get training, eh? Um, when I do my half marathon, I'm definitely going to run, walk, maybe just walk. Uh, <laughs> but there will definitely be some pacing involved. Um, but one of the, so I, I wanted to get into the five W's. What, why, who, when, slash, where, and how. We just call that the five W's. So we, we originally did like this Facebook Live video i think where we talked about pacing we talked about a few pacing strategies um i thought it would be good to quickly touch on just some of like what the science says about pacing like so these are the pacing strategies that you could do and this is what we call them okay so um the first one and um the one that most people do and and we were there a million times before is positive pacing right so that's pretty much the where you start all out, and um, you go way too hard at the start. Yeah, right. So and but the, and that's okay sometimes, right? So if there's an event that is less than three minutes, positive pacing is the best way to cover the most ground as possible in the shortest amount of time. And that's because when you start an event, you're going zero kilometers an hour, 
and it actually takes a lot of effort to get up to, say, 20 kilometers per hour. So we need to put in that initial effort. If the race is so short, we need to get up to speed as quickly as possible. So if you think about Usain Bolt when he's out there doing his 100-meter uh, run, if he applied any pacing strategy um, other than, you know, I guess actually their, their pacing strategy is a little different, but if you imagine him employing some sort of negative split thing when he's pacing and trying to kind of ease into his 100-meter sprint, I think he's just actually going to go really, really slow because the acceleration point of that 100-meter race is such a big portion of the overall race. Yeah. So generally speaking, when we talk about energy systems and you know the anaerobic capacity that we can maintain, three minutes, we can expend all our anaerobic work capacity. And if we go all out from the start, that is the best pacing we could do. So we got that. We got that. Then we got the all-out pacing strategy, which is pretty much the same. And this is definitely what you're doing when you're doing a really, really short race like a sprint. Okay, that I think, and I think that one kind of speaks for itself. Um, our favorite one, obviously, is negative pacing, where you Ooh. start easy and uh, you finish hard. And that is probably one of the coolest pacing strategies that you could ever have because it feels awesome to speed up as the race goes. It's also extremely rare to be able to do that. Uh, but, I mean, if, if you can, that, that's going to be super awesome. Super awesome. And, you know, this is for events lasting more than five minutes up to a couple hours, right? Another pacing strategy we could do is even pacing, where we just... And this would be like your marathon pacing. So... This is when you're super calculated on the power you can maintain, or maybe you could even think about pace that you could maintain, and you start at a pace, and you finish at that same pace. You need to be really nicely calculated to not fade at the end or to leave too much in the tank, because it's actually really dangerous to leave something in the tank. You don't want to finish a race and be like, oh, was that the end? I, oh, <laughs> ah, I should have sprinted, or something like that, you know? So it takes like a lot of experience and a lot of calculation to do this kind of pacing strategy. And this would be something like what um, was used to break the two-hour marathon recently, right? And we have a, we talked about that a few weeks ago. Um, and your run-walk would be more like an undulating pacing, where you're going hard and then you're going easy, going hard and going easy. And that, yes. even, you need to be really well calculated as well. Yeah. Yeah, mine is, un yeah, the run-walk's an, an undulating, but over the board, it's it's a uh, a negative. Like, you know, you're going to be, on average, going faster at the end, ideally, than you would be at the start. Nah. It's like a double pacing strategy. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> There's another one, but uh, this one's super hard to implement, and this is probably what most people feel like they're doing. So it's called parabolic pacing, where you start really hard, and then you have a lull in the middle of the race, and then you finish really hard. So if we start out way too hard, this is exactly how our pacing strategy is going to feel. Because obviously we went way too hard. And we blew up. So in the middle, we're going to go really, really slow. But then we're getting to the end of the race. And even though we haven't fully recovered, we're going to think we did. So we're going to dig even deeper to try and lift that pace again. So if we think of starting and finishing at the same pace and going slow in the middle. That's exactly what that feels like when you go way too hard. But in practice, it's actually really hard and maybe not as effective to have a parabolic kind of pacing strategy. So when yeah, it feels I like you do that. Really cool. That's a, not really a strategy. It's very, very common for shorter 
races uh where you start with the group you start off and you're like oh you know you get your first split whatever split you're doing and running i'm thinking at first kilometer oh that was a bit fast and so then you settle down into your pace and then it comes near the end and you have the finishing spurt which is what it's generally referred to and that's where you see the finish line okay yeah i can definitely make it i could probably speed up there's maybe some competition around you and you finish kind of that final kilometer or final few minutes faster than than you could because within a shorter event like under an hour or so under half an hour even you you probably it's it's a lot more difficult to completely exhaust yourself to the point where you're just groveling in. Yeah, that's right. And I see that that kind of pacing strategy being more of like a tactical, more when there's tactics involved. Say when you do need to go with a front group just so you don't get dropped, right? So sometimes you just have to go with a front group. Otherwise, you're going to do a time trial and go slower than everyone, right? Yeah, so and you, you, you'll probably see it even... Uh, you, you might... you You'll probably see it... If it depends how you look at your overall graph... Um, on whatever software you use within big events because you're so hyped and everyone takes off and you, you feel so comfy and then you know you got your pacing strategy you know you got your reference points and then you look and you're like oh damn too fast all right slow down <laughs> yeah. and then even and then you've got your even pacing and i and then you're gonna get to the near the finish and and you'll still be able to eke out just a little bit more you know once you know you're not going to like collapse a meter from the line like oh yeah yeah cool this last few hundred meters i can i can pick it up um so that will that will kind of create a u-shape and depends how short your vent is is how exaggerated that u-shape will look or parabolic yeah 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 so well our next w is why so why would we adopt one of these pacing strategies we adopt a pacing strategy to be able to like evenly distribute our energy uh, across an event so that we can get the most out of ourselves so that you know we talk about this anaerobic work capacity and that's your ability to operate above threshold you know and if we've got three minutes total anaerobic work capacity and we start way too hard we then have no more access to that anaerobic work capacity. We have no more ability to operate above threshold. We now have to operate at a certain percentage below it. Unless you take a break. Unless you have a break or coast yeah, for a really you, long time. Unless you yeah. have a recovery period. Um, That's then, why mountain bikers can do it, right? That's why they can go a little bit harder at the start because they have downhills that where they kind same, of recover. Same with cycling, yeah. And... Yeah. and if we're just looking at the numbers of it, you now have not evenly distributed your energy, which is like your output, or if we go all the way back to the start of Matt's Formula One racing, if we, if you've you've used up most of your petrol. Gasoline for the Americans. Now you've only got a certain amount of petrol and you're still going to make it to the finish line, so you're forced to slow down um, because you can only sustain this new level, this new baseline threshold, and... The harder you go at the start, without any recovery periods, the slower you have to go at the finish. Um, and not only does this not elicit your best performance, just mathematically, but also it feels 
horrible. Yeah. <laughs> we all know. Just groveling to the finish, thinking, oh, how much further? How much further? Um, oh, crap, crap, crap. Yeah, and and that's that's just mathematically. You know, if we're just looking at, okay, this is what you can sustain, best case scenario. Then we have uh, uh, other... Actually, that's why. I'll stop. That's why. I mean, I think you kind of answered this, but who who do we think should be doing a pacing strategy? Anyone, any endurance athlete. Yeah. Should have a pacing strategy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I'm, I'm thinking, you know, if the downhillers have made it this far, or the enduro racers have made I think the enduro racers uh, would make it this far. So they're thinking, yeah, but I mean, I pretty much need to sprint and then hit big jumps and... Um, ride really smooth i don't really need a pacing strategy and but i would argue that actually yes you do need a pacing strategy um so you know we think about runners it 100 percent makes sense you need to adopt a pacing strategy we think about cross-country mountain bikers and marathon mountain bikers 100 percent you need a pacing strategy but then we th- when we think about gravity racers 100 percent you need a pacing strategy because if we go back to our friend Usain Bolt and we think about how hard he goes in 10 seconds, when he finishes that 10 seconds, that was everything he could possibly give. Okay, and that's important. He's slowing down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he's he's that's that's it. That is it for him. He went as hard as he possibly could go. Now, if you look at him at the end of a race, he's pretty tired, rightfully so. If we're at the top of a downhill run about to drop into the gnarliest track ever, and we do a Usain Bolt type effort. It's going to be a bumpy ride, pun intended, for the entire rest of the race. So if we think about how we feel after we do this hardest max effort. Um, we don't feel very good and it's really hard to concentrate and definitely really hard to pump and flow down the trail. So even for downhill racers, it's important for them not to go all out from the start and just totally blow it. They need to get up to speed really quickly. And that's why you see them sometimes putting in a reasonable effort. It's going to be based on the track, right? How much? Because gravity is giving you energy the entire run. So that energy is becoming, that potential energy becomes kinetic energy, and that's you moving. A lot of times you're breaking it away. But as we saw from Aaron Gwynn, you can actually win a downhill World Cup without pedaling at all. And that is one of the most magnificent pacing strategies in my mind. And this is what we researched. Will, and you were a part of this research study where we looked at pacing strategies on a downhill during my PhD. So we had riders go up the hill at a set pace and then go down the hill either at race pace pedaling or fully coasting. And they actually went equally as fast as each other, but they expended way more energy when they were pedaling. And it was kind of useless and they just kind of braked it all away and they got really really tired so when i think about pacing strategies i think about everyone so anyone doing any kind of event they need to be thinking about how they're using their engine yep all right so what's what's next so when and where is my next w all right so are we what are we thinking so when we're are, when we're training are we deploying a pacing strategy then or are we just saving it for a big event for for me uh any time there is a specific uh race related effort um often like my my training philosophy is built around heart rate based aerobic training uh so 
I said when most training is going to be done off of uh, your, your like aerobic capacity. So you should be able to run or ride or swim at this kind of capacity for hours. So I'm not applying it there. It's just like, here's your zone two heart rate or effort or power or whatever. Go off and do that for a few hours. So there's no real pacing involved there. It's more just like, you. it's just gaining fitness. Now, when we start to have intervals uh, or an actual race, that's where I'm saying, look, here we go. We know from, from testing, you know, I got you to do a, a 5K run or I got you to do a 20-minute power test or something. Let's set off here and uh, see if you can build, build throughout. You know, if you got running intervals on the track, do not go above this. You know, here's your times. Let's try and hold these times all the way through for the last two. If you can go faster, go faster. Uh, that's those are really so interval training and and races is where I'm in, implementing a pacing strategy. Yep. Do you ever practice your pacing strategies before you get into the race, or do you kind of set one, put your confidence in it, and just know what it's going to feel like from your training? Uh, I will have lead-in races. Uh, so whether they're just like super low-key races, that club races during the week, or maybe a bigger one that's like a shorter event in a weekend, uh, and we can decipher it from there. You know, like that, it's just, it's really important to do something like that because it gives you the feeling of pacing in a race scenario. Because you may be super comfortable within your club setting and, and you know, you can tell everyone, oh yeah, I'm starting slow today, I'm starting slow. And so you can, you know, set yourself up early. But when you go to a big event and you see these people and like, oh, this, that person's there, that person's there. And then you do the shorter event, not your key one, not your most um, important race of the season. And you shoot off and you're like, damn, I didn't do it. And then you ring me up or I ring you up and I say, uh, I'm looking at your file and you you went well above your threshold for the first 10 minutes. Oh, yeah. Uh-oh. And then you slowed down. Um, so, yeah, I guess like, you know, that's ha- that's how we try and incorporate it in. Yeah, yeah. I think if you, uh, I think it's okay to do it that way for sure. Because um, I think the the trick is with especially the mountain bikers, they need a lot of confidence in their pacing strategy because the, the skill is such a big component and they need to understand how it feels a bit more and how fast they can ride when they aren't going all out all the time. I think it, it it's a little more complicated for them. So we always... I always encourage them to go out and try it. One of the simplest ways is to just do a, a race run and do one run coasting and one run pedaling and go out and to another run, switch the order and try them and see how fast you can possibly go. You can't coast everywhere all the time, but you'll get the idea of how quickly you can go without actually putting in an all out effort. Yeah, that is different because that's like the skill component of it, right? Where running, you don't really have that. You sort of, and even like cycling, time trialing, like if we're looking at triathlon, like Ironman, half Ironman, you kind of just can show them, you can show them within an effort or within an interval or training session, like 
there you go. You know, if you yeah. if you didn't go above 300 watts at the start, you're actually able to maintain 290 watts for the whole entire thing. Yeah, um, yeah. And same with running. You know, here's your six-minute Ks. You're still able to do six-minute Ks right at the end. Uh, yeah, yeah. Be- because with with mountain biking especially, it's really hard to quantify the skills. So before the brake power meter, there's actually no way to measure anything that's going on like that. But what we found is the harder, the deeper riders dig, um, the worse their braking gets. So it's about finding that fine line of going really, really fast and staying really, really efficient and executing your skills properly. Yeah. So what else? Is that it? Is that it, Matt? Or do we have... Yeah, so I think when and where are pretty much the same thing. I think we should try it in training for sure, and or at least in a, a B-level race or a C-level race, one that's not our main race. And we need to actually, we need to pick one and stick with it. And that we need to experiment. So as people, as athletes, that's a really important thing for us. And just try new things. So even if you don't learn anything about the pacing strategy or from the pacing strategy itself, you might be able to learn something else. And that, you know, you can't put a price on that. And the last W I had is how. <laughs> and um, I think we covered that in our first W, which is what. So there are lots of different pacing strategies you can do. I know Will has a couple articles written on the run walk, and we have a podcast on the run walk. We have a podcast on the critical power, and that's using mathematical modeling to pick the best pacing strategy for us. And then there are a few articles on smart MTB training as well. So check out endurancetraininghub.com, smartmtbtraining.com, and just try it. Yeah, so the what you can do, your big takeaway here is if you're going to to your event, the summer's going to have lots of events, have a look at, at your past past records. You know, what what are your past results? What have you definitely 100% been able to achieve in the past? And if you're going to do the same event, like in my head I'm thinking park run, that's always a good one. People love to jump, jump in on a Saturday morning, run a hard 5K. Why don't you... Just, start for the first k just a little bit slower just a little bit slower than than your best effort or your goal effort and see how that goes um or you know the local time trial series on the bikes are are starting up soon as well just try it out try starting easier and and see what that feels like my general rule of thumb is like the first 10 minutes should feel super comfortable you shouldn't feel like you're you're smashing it and and give it a whirl see see what comes of it yeah awesome all right matt anything else to update the listeners on for for you this week no i'm just looking forward to going out in the sun we have an awesome day here so i'm going for a ride same i'm looking forward to uh watering my lawn because i'm trying to grow some grass and uh it's it's a bit patchy oh boy good luck with that all right matt thank you all right see you later